ends up getting pulled comes back in relief in the second game <laughs> and we let him up for like 10 more in one inning i don't think he ever exits so we don't like it was bad and like i felt bad for him like oh man this is my this is my teammate they probably all think i'm a bum now <laughs> and he's just on the mound just eating it you know he's wearing it he's fine like not not shook at all, just eating it like nothing ever happened. Um, and then a week later, I think we let him up for like 15 more. <laughs> Dude, why are they just letting him sit in it? Um, those college leagues, it, it, it can be, it's tough because you're limited in your pitching. Just the way the mm. schedule works out. And if certain guys aren't there that day, like some of your relievers aren't, and you just like you have four pitchers and you need to get through like whatever sixteen damn, innings dude. or something like that, like you just have to let him eat it. <laughs> uh, some yeah. Introduced me to pre workout. That was a that was a journey. Oh goodness. I we mean the stuff whole... that he would get he would get like <laughs> these samples of these these like packets of pre-workout that would be like death energy 3000 or some shit with oh dude yeah they get you know a skull crazy. and crossbones on the mm-hmm. on the front and like three warnings on the back saying this shit is not fda approved just so you know it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, truly and i actually i was curious so i did take some of it one time and before before a workout in I have never sweat so much in my life. It was like I thought that I was like having a fever or something like that. And I'm pretty sure I I I had a solid workout, but like oh my goodness, I was I was I was heated, heated up, not in the anger sense, but in the my body temperature was like abnormally high off of these chemicals that he would just consume on a regular he would take that he would like have pre-workout in the bullpen hours before he would actually be in any (laughs) any risk of pitching just a a ridiculous human all right so who's the mlb equivalent to that like who is just ripping pre-workout in the pen like not in the public area like in the part that there's benches and covered up by doors like who is it karen oh man i mean yes that was what came to mind amongst other things about james karen check karen check without without sticky stuff buns true true you know 10 years ago i would have said kyle kyle farnsworth you know that dude was a (laughs) holy fuck that's a fucking name back when 100 miles an hour was something I have something that's not on the rundown that I want to talk about because I just kind of stumbled across it. Uh, Can we talk about Jack Flaherty? Ooh. (sighs) Yeah, yeah. You go go ahead. You see, you kick us off. I like that. (sighs) Okay. I need to pull up the quote, but um, 
Jack Flaherty uh, did not have a strong outing the other day. And someone started to ask him about his VLO. And he basically said, the next time somebody wants to mention the VLO on my fastball, I'm just not going to answer it. Um, and said, like, I'm going to play with the velocity of my baseball based on what the game calls for. And he said, I can get outs if I need to get outs at 95. I'm going to play with it. I've always played with it. I've thrown freaking fastballs at 87 before in games when I've been at my best, which is like objectively just like the opposite of the truth, actually. <laughs> like there are so few fastballs that work at 87. Um, so I just, it's interesting because Jack Flaherty, I think, is someone that we historically as as baseball fans have liked because he's been yep. very, you know, vocal about like Black Lives Matter and uh, various, you know, other issues. Um, so this is, I don't know. I, I get I get the frustration, so I don't want to like dogpile on Jack Flaherty. Um, but it, it just struck me as something that was like particularly boomer-esque and just untrue um so wanted to just open it up yeah. yeah that shit was crazy i i saw that and was just like bro what are you doing like he he seems to be someone that's actually pretty honest and he yeah he's honest with the media and often handles situations very well but that was just like no you can't say these things because they can be debunked so fast and i think it was dan zimborski who you know ran the 30 second savant query that it takes to look up this information and saw that he's thrown less than 10 fastballs at 87 to 88 in his career and actually more than half of them have been this year <laughs> when he's been awful so i i don't know this is just some out-of-pocket craziness from him He's just mad that he's bad. I didn't see the Zimborski tweet, but I'm just pulling up, you know, like at, I just picked 92 and below. He's thrown 630 fastballs uh, at 92 or below. And his run value is like, he's accrued 7.6, positive 7.6, which is not good. Um, so like, very clearly <laughs> like it's just not good when he doesn't have his velocity and i think the thing about jack flaherty too is like i need to pull up um i haven't looked into him as a pitcher since like 2020 <laughs> um <clears throat> but he's always been a guy that really i would have said in the past like unsustainably um induces a lot of weak contact um and i it seems like yeah over the years he's just cut his fastball more and more and more which you know makes for maybe like a a more unique pitch shape but i don't think the fastball that he has now is anything like the fastball that he had in 2019 when it, his run value on his four-seamer was negative 22. 
um, which is obviously like outcome space. Like it's kind of like ERA. Um, I don't know, man. I don't think he's even if he gets a VWO back. Like I don't, I don't really think he's good anymore. Like he hasn't been since 2019. Yeah, it's uh, he's not good anymore. It's sad. It's just such a weird, weird interaction. I think the other the funny thing about that Zimborski tweet was I think, in addition, like half of them were this year, and the other half were in a game two years ago that I think I was at actually. I believe it was against the White Sox where he left after three innings with a shoulder injury. So, yeah, didn't there? There was no evidence there. Just a weird interaction because like it's a very. It's a very valid question to ask, like, you know, what's up with your velo? It's lower than we've ever seen it before. It's I, I get why one would be defensive about that. That was just a objectively dumb and not true thing to say. I kind of wish I do kind of wish it hadn't become a thing. You know, players say dumb thing, dumb shit all the time. Just with the subtext of, like you said, he there's he's, he's a player that we've Liked in the past because of his outspokenness on on things that we don't hear from in a way that we don't hear from baseball players a lot of the time. And that kind of when when you combine that with the subtext of the best fans in baseball down in St. Louis who have kind of had it out for him for a while, too, for you know, he's he's not a white dude who talks a lot and you know is confident in himself and that rubs a lot of people a lot of the best fans in baseball the wrong way so it was yeah it's a stupid thing to say and he is it's sad but he is pretty washed it looks like um not discounting that he could ever you know figure out a way to pitch with with different stuff and figure it out again but for now it's not it's not a good look i just wish it hadn't really turned into a thing because some of the some of that subtext there at least from like that section of things makes me a little just ugh, like yet another thing that's like okay we can I see what's going on here you know which is obviously not where where you guys are coming from but it's uh, or where any of us are coming from but like I said those St. Louis fans man they're they're a bunch. His fastball is so bad now. I like. <laughs> It's, it's 87. <laughs> I mean, you have to be like Kyle Hendricks to 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 get away with that. And he he's no Kyle Hendricks. I might I might actually write about this because based on his. So just looking at his like movement numbers, like uh, you can tell you can generally tell when people are adding cut or like losing efficiency on their fastballs because they'll start cutting it more they'll stop um like it'll get less arm side run for four years he was about two over two and a half to like nearly three and a half inches of arm side run and then he went to less than negative two and a half and then what nearly negative two and now he's at nearly negative one um so his fastball is not running anymore and like you can look at his active spin numbers and be like okay it was at 85 in 2020, and then 79, and then 73, and then 68. He just keeps cutting it more and more and more and more. Um, which is strange, because he's been moving more and more over the top. Um, and it's, you know, generally speaking, like a good rule of thumb is it is easier to spin a ball efficiently uh, over the top than it is like sidearm um so 
Yeah, man. I think I kind of think he's done. He is 27. But like unless he fixes his fastball, which I, I think he could do. Um, yeah, uh, I just I don't I don't see a path for him to be particularly good. So, yeah, yeah, I think that well, something sometimes pitchers will raise their arm slots with shoulder injuries. It's just a compensation that ends up happening. I don't know if it's intentional. Um, you end up raising it, but it's because you're sort of laboring on the other shoulder and using the other shoulder to carry uh, the the throwing side of your body. So, um, But at the same time, you might be raising your arm slot, but changing your hand orientation and all that stuff. But anyways, we can talk about another pitcher who has dealt with plenty of injuries in his career, but maybe peaking, and that's Nathan Eovaldi, who just keeps pitching very well and doing it in bulk like eight to nine innings in each of his last three starts i believe have either of you watched any of these starts and seen how much he is dominating i've only seen um uh, i i saw something from the i think maybe kennedy landry tweeted out last night like what is it he's gone I think he's the only pitcher in the Rangers franchise and the first since someone a very long time ago, at least 10 years, uh, to go eight plus innings and three plus starts of shutout ball, um, if I remember correctly. Um, I mean, I've, yeah, and you can you can check my work. You can go back and look at, uh, I think I wrote an article about him in maybe 2021 at Pitcher List, but... I've always been a big fan. Um, yeah, just someone that can, that um, just throws a lot of strikes with a lot of different pitches. Um, he's just so nasty. And I think, I mean, yeah, across the board, you just look at all of his pitches and he's he's throwing them for strikes at least like 64% of the time across the board. Uh, in particular, uh, his fastball and splitty just, yeah, he's like super, super efficient, and he's not getting hit hard, obviously, because his um, his home runs per nine right now is point one seven, which you know, if the season ended today, would be one of the lowest of pitchers with fifty innings or more. So, um, I don't know. While while you talk, Hayes, uh, I'm gonna see if anything's changed or if it's. We were kind of talking pre pod about you know he just goes through stretches of being able to really fucking command the ball. Yeah, the command. I watched um I, I watched pieces of his last start against Oakland and then the uh complete game shuddy he threw against the Yankees uh a couple weeks ago. And yeah, the, the you guys are the point about spotting up is is there. I think something that is visually and you know, kinda supports the weak contact and a lot of the stuff you just said is that if you look at his heat maps you know, heat maps are pretty, pretty limited in what they tell you. Um, I'm, I'm not thinking about the actual locations, but it's still, you know, it's still early enough in the season that when you look at, you know, the actual heat clusters, you know, not just the pitch locations, you know, most pitchers in their, in their stuff are pretty all over the place. It's pretty scattered because there haven't necessarily been enough pitchers, pitches to really for those patterns 
to emerge. But you look at Evaldi's heat maps on his pitches, and he is nailing the same spots over and over again. He is nailing the outside edge to right-handers and inside edge to to left-handers with the fastball. It, look at his, Mike, if you're looking stuff up right now, look at his split-finger heat map, which he's thrown 25% of the time now. It's something he first, if I remember correctly something he first developed when he was on the Yankees uh, six or seven years ago and uh, has managed to refine, he's kind of refined his his pitch mix to a spot that's clearly working for him. Uh, But the consistency with which he's able to hit a spot in the zone and close to the zone with a split finger is rare. That's a really hard pitch to command, and it's kind of predicated on being able, it's totally predicated in most cases on being able to get swings out of the zone because it's really hard to throw for a strike. And if you're not going to get swings, uh, I mean, that's what like, Kevin Gossman is great at, for example. But uh, Evaldi is just commanding everything really, really, really well. And on top of, you know, when you combine the, the you know, the, that's the reason he's been able to go on those stretches is, is because he has, you know, been able to do that periodically. He has, he has that high 90s stuff and knows how to throw, you know, five, six, seven different pitches. Uh, and it's not it, it, most of the time it's pretty surprising to like you don't really expect to see a pitcher uh start to like show signs of an actual breakout after you know 10 11 12 years in the league but in this case it, it kind of makes sense you know he's got the high 90s fastball he's found balance in his arsenal and uh you know you combine that with the fact that he's a big dude he's a workhorse he's um when he's healthy you know he's his pretty consistently going now you know six seven innings and you get a really really good pitcher out of that i mean god he's he he he's walking he's got a 3.9 percent walk rate right now but that's not new he's been below a five percent walk rate for the past four or five years and uh contact management he's always been pretty good at um he hasn't outperformed his expected era in two out of the past three years and one he did but it's always been pretty solid and He'll, yeah, I do. I think he's going to continue to do this for the entire year. He's, I, I don't think he's going to set the record for, for home run rate in the season for sure. But, um, it's, I mean, it, it looks pretty, it looks pretty legit. Um, there's just not a lot of it's, it's not like necessarily exceptional, but there's not a lot of holes in his game anymore. Uh, if he can continue to stay healthy. So it's, you know, and I'm I'm a big fan of workhorses and guys who can still go seven, eight, nine innings with with regularity. Just so so to see a guy finish eight innings and, and work into the ninth, you know, three consecutive games is uh is fun. It's not something you see very often. It speaks to kind of a fun kind of baseball where you're inducing a lot of weak contact, being efficient and moving things along and just not getting hurt. Yeah. So it's it's fun. I like what he's doing. Mikey, did you find anything in the background just now? I wonder, like, I wonder if it is just noise. Um, One thing that I think is really interesting is with the Mariners in particular, um, and if you want to hear a fleshed out version of this, I just talked about it on It's Never Sunny in Seattle. Um, But a lot of their pitchers have, like, moved towards sinkers and then just raised the 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 height, the vertical pitch height or location of their forcing fastball to be used essentially just exclusively as a pitch to get whiffs and to change like the hitter's eye level. Um Uvaldi's actually lowered his his average vertical pitch location um and 
seems like, you know, really tightened it up to to move it to like the arm side. And I kind of wonder what that's done for his other pitch shapes, because if you look at like, like really what's taken the step forward is the the slider, although even that is just like a small sample size. Um, I wonder if it's just pitch usage, honestly. Yeah, he's just throwing more splitties, more cutters, um, which makes sense. Like, I think more than ever, yeah, he's he's throwing more uh, just of his good, like, best pitches, you know? Um, so I think maybe between pitch usage and um, and pitch location, like, that's what we're seeing kind of happen. Because I, I think about Kevin Gosman all the time when, like, uh, he'll throw his fastball center cut a lot of the time. Like, he's one of the best pitchers in MLB when it comes to just piping a fastball and getting a good result on it. Um, and it's because he has a really good splitty. Evaldi does too. So I, I think, I think there, yeah, there's a lot of uh, things working together here. I think he's, I think he's just figured out what he's good at, you know, and the stuff has always kind of been there and it's just a matter of eventually finding out what you're good at and playing, playing consistently to those strengths. And it's very possible that, and almost a, like I said, it almost kind of makes sense that after, if you can still maintain that level of, of velocity, uh, and command, you know, into your thirties as he clearly has, then it's the kind of adjustments and, and, um, you know, subsequent improvement in, in results that um, gives gives some uh, hope to its sustainability. I would say. So um, yeah, fun 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 stuff for sure. Um, it have... also helps. Last thing, it it helps that one of those games came against the A's and the other came against the most depleted Yankees lineup I've seen in like five or six years. Not to hate, but. I mean, that is also what good pitchers do, right? They dominate bad teams. Yeah, I mean, we're talking like, um, God, that Yankees lineup is pretty brutal, but we're, in terms of base runners on, for those three games, against the Yankees, three hits, no walks, no hit-by-pitches, I don't know if there were any errors, you know, against the Angels, five hits, two walks, against the A's, Three hits, one walk. You know, even against bad teams, man, he's just not letting anybody on base. Which is like the other thing. If you, then I know we've spent some time on here, so we should move on. But with the home run rate, like, yeah, it's gonna bounce back. But if he's that good at keeping guys off base, even if he does start giving up a few more gopher balls, it's not necessarily. It might not hurt him all that much enough to stop him from being a very good pitcher. You know, so I like it. I like it. And uh, so before, or SD, you got one more thing. Nope, I'm ready to go. <laughs> bet, bet, bet. So, yeah, uh, I, I think you had the most to say about this anyway, SD. Apparently, I just learned this from throwing it on the uh, the, the pod topic notes, that uh, the finally, after a year plus, the collective bargaining agreement that there was so much um, Sturmundrang about last spring and winter is finally available. Is that right? Or is about to be? Yeah. No, it's it's available. The PA tweeted it out maybe earlier this week. Well, not maybe earlier this week. They did tweet it out earlier this week. And as a person who has read the last two collective bargaining agreements for various reasons, I have 
been waiting on this for a while. I had a few ideas in the in the off season that required information about the collective bargaining agreement and was shocked when I went to the PA's website to see that there was no PDF or file for the collective bargaining agreement. And this thing was signed a while ago. Sorry, my my dog. Just, just going to go on mute while my dog makes an entry. Um, but, <laughs> but I don't know. I think it's hella irresponsible that they took this long. It's a five-year agreement, and it's essentially 20% of the way through it, a fifth of the way. And we're just getting it now. And it takes a while to read through these things. Like, I, I think it, the last CBA took me a few weeks to really get through. And there are so many things within it that affect the way we do analysis. Not be, like not near standard baseball analysis, but really labor analysis and transaction analysis. All those types of things to the point where it's just, what have, what have y'all been doing? Like, what have you been up to? Like, does it really take that long to scribe it? And if it does, then commit time to it right away so that everyone can know what's in it. Like, I saw J.J. Cooper tweeting out, like, oh, this is an interesting wrinkle. Here's another interesting wrinkle. I think he actually might have, might have written an article at uh, Baseball America. But I don't know. I think it's crazy. I, I, I just think it's so irresponsible, but it's not also not surprising at all. I mean, who at the league office is going to do something like this? Yeah, you know, you know, the league isn't gonna be giving it to us particularly voluntarily. So yeah, I'm not quite sure what the PA is doing there, but I guess it's good that we have it. We should uh, definitely gonna look into that, and I'm sure we'll have some potentially interesting things to learn about that. Um, yeah, but they're, his they're actually, due. Go ahead. No, I was gonna move us forward unless you got one more thing to say there. Nah, I was I was done pretty much. Go ahead, unless uh, you got anything, Mikey. Nah, I don't have anything. <laughs> yeah, that's valid. I know it was more like a niche thing. It's because uh, I wrote like a sixty-page thesis on like pay discrimination in baseball, and a key part of writing that thesis was understanding the trends and language used in the cba over time so i've read them and now that i've read like three of them i now will read all of them just yeah they're actually kind of interesting. why not no they definitely are mm-hmm. um yeah let's uh, let's I, talk I, about let's talk about you know just regular baseball again let's talk about the slumbio Slambio. Yeah. So I, um, God, I love this. So I, I had, uh, an article this past week at Pinstripe Alley that's uh, actually being expanded into a BP article soon enough that, um, really focuses in on the slider of Ian Hamilton. So Ian Hamilton is a relief pitcher for the Yankees. The Yankees love plucking relievers out of obscurity, typically, uh, typically ones with some kind of unique, uh, unique traits to their arsenal or their release point, you know, things, uh, 
they take outliers, which is generally speaking what you'd want to be looking for. Uh, he had all of 15 major league appearances coming into this, into this year, most in 2018 with the White Sox. Uh, he came up through their system. At one point was kind of considered the closer of the future before uh, injuries and being a relief prospect led him on a journey through like five organizations and culminated with the Yankees this spring where he, he broke camp with the team and has subsequently put up a 135 ERA. That's uh, three earned runs in 20 innings, uh, 13 appearances. He's going multi-innings a lot. Uh, he's only given up 10 hits, walked seven, struck out 25. Uh, and the way he's doing it is interesting. So, like I said, you talk about uh, the Yankees kind of finding pitchers with unique traits and being able to exploit them. And that looks very much like that. That's what's happening here because Hamilton throws a very interesting pitch that he calls a slambio, which is a uh, portmanteau, one of my favorite words, between um, between slider and cambio, which is uh, Spanish for changeup, of course. Uh, and it is classified as a slider. I think it's mostly thought of as a slider. It spins at about 1,500 RPMs, which is like, you know, changeup splitter territory, like low end change splitter territory, or changeup territory at least. Um, and it's thrown in the high 80s. So not only is that spin rate pretty much the lowest we've ever seen on a pitch classified as a slider, at least in the, you know, the stack has tracking area. I think the only lower one was uh, Ariel Miranda, who last pitched in the big leagues in 2018. And I don't know what was going on with him, and I'm not going to find out. So uh, he had like a 1,100 RPM slurve type thing that was really a curveball it was like high 80s high 70s like 80 miles an hour whereas hamilton throws his slider slambio at uh in the high 80s it averages like 88 and change uh touches 90 and as a result the spin velocity ratio on that pitch uh is the lowest on record by literally like two and a half units uh, it's like a 17 and a half, and the next one is at like 20. Uh, so it's a really, really unique pitch. The Yankees have, of course, altered it a little bit to get the most out of it. Uh, it was previously, you know, it, it looks unremarkable by pretty much any kind of movement uh, metric you look at uh, in terms of approach angle and release point. It's pretty much nothing special. Uh, it previously spun from the little data we had on it with about 45% efficiency which is you know kind of in a lot of times like uh sweeper slurve territory um but the yankees have pretty much cut that in half and turned it into a true gyro slider that's spinning at about 25 percent efficiency uh which you know I, who can say exactly what the low spin rate does it probably contributes to some um some of the lack of of movement you know uh it, it's a basically a gravity ball it's a gravity ball slider is another term for it uh it's not getting basically any spin induced movement it's mostly through seam shifted wake um and uh and the very little amount of side spin you're getting 27 percent efficiency and the less spin you have on that pitch the less movement it's going to get uh so or the less um excuse me the less um um spin based magnus movement it's going to get uh, is the term I'm looking for. So another interesting, you know, the result of that is that, first of all, the Yankees are having them throw 50% of the time, and it's doing great. It's got a 40% whiff rate, like 39% CSW. Um, weak contact all over the place uh, when there is contact. And I think the interesting thing is that because it is a a gravity ball, there's not a ton of movement to it. Uh, 
it's easier, I would think, to throw for a strike than your traditional slider sweeper that's got a ton of side-to-side movement and really relies on getting uh, chases. Hamilton throws his slider in the zone about 50% of the time, which isn't like extraordinary, but it's in the top 20% or so of all pitchers who have uh, a roughly qualified amount of sliders. And actually, when he throws it on the first pitch, when he throws it in OO counts, he gets a strike out of it almost 80% of the time, and it ranks something like uh, 20th out of out of 240 pitchers uh, with the that, that reached that pitch threshold. So uh, it's not your typical chase slider, and it works very well in combination with his fastball sinker combo. He throws both of them mostly you know, sinker to righties, four seamer to lefties. He commands them well enough, um, and it just plays, they both play. The sinker is much more of an up-down sinker than a side-to-side sinker, which is also, you know, kind of one of the ways that pitchers often will differentiate between a sinker and a two-seamer. This is an up-down sinker and then, you know, up-up-ish four-seamer. Again, like the slider, neither of them in a vacuum have particularly remarkable movement traits, uh, but it, it turns into a pretty, pretty solid balance, and you can see why it's successful. He hasn't given up a homer yet this year. That'll probably change, but... Uh, it's just it seems like it's another case of, as I've said a couple times already, the Yankees finding something really weird and interesting. Generally speaking, outliers are good. It doesn't always matter what it is or what end of the spectrum you're on. Being different from everybody else is desirable. You don't want to be a part of the blob where hitters know what to expect because they've seen it or something like it a hundred times already. Uh, you want to be out on the fringes, and he clearly is with uh, some of uh, some of his his pitch traits. And it's not surprising that. Uh, Matt Blake and the Yankees pitching development staff for uh, as much trouble as the Yankees have had this year have found a way to seemingly capitalize on it because we've seen them do it with pitchers over and over and over again. Uh, and yeah, I'll be looking forward to to continuing to watch him this year. And if, if Clay Holmes continues to struggle at all, I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up getting uh, getting a share save opportunity sometime down the line. So SC, you've watched him a fair amount too, of course, as a Yankees person. Do you have uh, anything to add to that maybe? honestly no he's just he's pretty nasty initially when i saw him i was a little scared by his mechanics but i actually think sorry i was just moving around a lot um not close to the mic but i actually think that his funky mechanics are a key reason for why his pitches are unique and why he's able to be so disgusting like, I, I was watching him and thought to myself, ooh, this just looks off. But, no, nah, I was pretty wrong. It just, it looks pretty damn on. And Alex Isert also read about the Slambio and its u- uniqueness at Fangraphs a few weeks ago. Um, He really was just foc- focusing on its uniqueness relative to other pitches. Uh, it was interesting. I think it was like a two-part series that he did with that and then the ghost fork from Kodai Senga. Yeah, yeah, I read that one recently too, and now we kind of have some results to to back it up too after more than a couple of weeks of play. And yeah, I mean the results. It's early in the season, of course. We're talking about twenty innings. He's got that one thirty five ERA, but it's also you know the two ninety two xERA, just basically x woba based on contact and um, you know balls and strikes and all that. Pretty good. He's got a one eighty six fit. He's got a 241 XFIP, and he's got a 257 Sierra, and which the only reason 
I care to read all those is just because it's pretty rare that you see all of those ERA estimator metrics agree that results like that are pretty well deserved. Um, so it's hard not to think, you know, he'll give up home runs and we'll swing the other way, but there's, there seems to be something there for sure. He started the, he started the season on the minors, by the way, they, there were oh, some question marks. Um, yeah, there were, Oh wait, Am I thinking of someone else? I might be thinking I, I of someone else. I thought he did, but I, I mean... Actually, I have his savant. It's... I'm a fake fan. I'm a fake fan. <laughs> well, the thing that baseball savant really good is good at, good for is that if you go to, like, off of the stack cast stuff and back to the standard page, it's got, like, a very good transaction and detailed transaction log for, uh, for individual pitchers. I know, so... No, okay, yeah, so he, he was assigned to AAA when he signed the minor league deal. Okay, yeah, they, they selected him, his contract, on April 3rd, which is about four days after the start of the season, so he must, you're right, he didn't break camp with the team. Okay, but, yeah, uh, okay, I think it was... Pretty quickly thereafter. Yeah, 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 I think it was Colton Brewer who broke camp. But, Mikey, any, totally any more that. thoughts? Yeah, 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 he was fun for a second. Uh, i mean yeah just what a cool fucking pitch um i think mostly that like the thing that i'm thinking about is just i i don't know what he's said about his like pitching cues or whatever but clearly just like supinating more um with his slambio this year as opposed to like what he used to do so it's just he's added a lot of um gyro to it and i think you know when we think about raw spin the more spin you have just the more potential you have for movement and the percentage of active spin is just how much of that um how much magnus movement is going to impart on the pitch so you know just already doesn't have that much um uh, that that much spin on the ball, and now he's reduced his uh, his active spin by twenty seven percent from twenty twenty two, and and uh, oh god, math eighteen uh, percent from twenty twenty. Both you know pretty small sample, but enough to get a decent reading on active spin. Um, so yeah, I think what just makes this special is he throws it really hard. I think it's probably pretty weird for hitters when, you know, like it doesn't move that uniquely, but I think when you're looking at the spin characteristics and the spin of the ball, like it just isn't, isn't something you've seen before. So I don't know how, how much of like a look pitcher he is. Um, but in general, I, I think a, an 88, you know, mile per hour slider regardless is going to play pretty well. And I think the, Final things I have to say is uh, it by some similarity scores. Uh, shout out to Alex Chamberlain um, is similar to pitches like Hunter Green's slider, and um, I'm kind of cherry picking, but like um, Johan Oviedo and and J T. Brubaker, Otani's cutter. Um, so there's there's some good you know there's good precedents for this shape, regardless of its weirdness and i think uh it's you know it separates pretty well from his 
um, fastball and sinker vertically. So cool shit. Very cool shit. Yeah, very. And to your point about the comps there, I think, you know, I don't know so much about Green, but I think uh, like with Oviedo and the cutter, a, a common thread there is that they're pitches that are thrown for strikes a lot. They're all pitches that can, the pitcher can can throw in the zone. And when you have, you know, the rest of not, not like none of the, the, the sinker and change similarly aren't uh, in terms of pure movement remarkable. But I think uh, when you can throw the slider 50% of the time and put it in the zone pretty reliably, you know, when you're throwing, when you're throwing 95, 96, 97, which is where he's usually at, uh, even without like atrocious movement with like just pretty average stuff, if you can locate that, then you're just going to, you're going to keep hitters off balance. They're not going to be able to score you up. They're not going to be able to anticipate you. And uh, it's good stuff for, for a reliever. You know, if you can only show, if you, if you only have to show a fastball to a hitter, you know, once snap bat, once or twice in that bat, you're helping yourself out. You know, that's going to be your worst pitch probably. So if you're just limiting how much you're letting hitters get a look at your, uh, at average stuff, it's going to be probably play up into more than average stuff. So it's a little funky. It's a set of pieces, a set of unorthodox pieces that work, that happen to be working very well together, which honestly, I think is one of the things that's great about baseball is, you know, it's, um, I don't know. We we've never seen this before. It's there's how 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 often do you you know we we're still discovering stuff like this every every year and it's uh, I don't know it's a lot of fun. There's a million different ways to to uh, get it out. Sweet. Well, yeah, pretty dope. What do you people should watch yeah, him? I agree. But, so uh, yeah, talk know. about talk your shit, Esty. What do we what do we what do we got from you this week? So I did the thing that we said that I should do. I wrote about a few hitters who have added some more movement to their loads and how it's helped them. And well, first off, I don't know if you guys saw the quote te- the quote tweets of the Fangraphs tweet from this. They were just like wild horny. Like everyone <laughs> was just basically saying like pause or like, you know, doing what to your what. And I, yeah, right. And I was I'm just shocked. like, I thought about other words that I could use, and there just weren't any. I had to use load, but whatever. I talked about Brent Rooker, Jared Kelnick again, and Jonah Heim as three examples of hitters who have added movement to their loads or gathers and how it's helped them be better hitters. In the case of Jared Kelnick, it's helped him get out from his stiff, stagnant mechanics that he had in the end of last year, which made him not like just unadjustable to different speeds and locations. Don't get me wrong, I think that he looked better at the end of last year, but there was still some stiffness there. Oh, of course, stiffness. <laughs> uh, um, oh jeez, okay. Freud, Freud um, would have some things to say, <laughs> but there was still Mikey. I'm sure you agree with this. He just at times looked like he was tense. There you go. That's a that's a better word. And by <laughs> even then, dude, but by adding in the little <laughs> cradle that he does now, the Mookie Betts esque hand row. He just looks so much more athletic when he gets to his peak of his leg kick. And when you're athletic like that and loose in your body, you can adjust to a fast fastball. Like, you know, 
95 plus or really at 96 plus and you can also slow your body down and decel and get into a breaking ball that's low in the zone or on the outer half of the plate because that's the important thing about being a like improving your hit tool is just being a better decelerator so whatever way you can you need to put your body to actually slow your torso down at some point just do that even if it means adding movement and in the case of Brent Rooker he pretty much just did a high hand preset which is similar to what he did all throughout the minor leagues and in college when he was an absolute monster but what it did to him last year, and I'm not sure about previous years, I was mainly just looking at last year, is you could tell his body wanted to move. Like, it needed to do something when he was getting ready to actually fire his hips and his torso. And it created a weird little hitch that was making him whiff even more than he already does, because he is still whiff-prone despite his good adjustment. And speaking of that adjustment, he basically dropped his hands down like down closer to the ground and then further into his back hip. So I think that's just a cue right away to get that part of his body going, you know, like his right oblique, his right hip, his right trap. And what he's doing from there is raising back into his load rather than just stagnating and then tipping right before the pitch enters the hitting zone. And my God, I, wa- I watched him the three games that they play the Yankees, and I think he hit, like, in the series, he might have hit over eight balls, 95 miles per hour, and almost all of them barrels. So at a launch angle between, somewhere between, like, 10 to 35-ish. He, and it, it felt nice to do the analysis on him and then see him just absolutely kill baseballs for three straight games. Maybe, like, one of two bright spots on that team. And then Jonah Heim is the third case. So he was really good from the right-hand side in 2022, and he still is hitting very well from that side this season. But the reason why his overall value was dragged down in 2022, and I think he was like a less than a three-win player, is due to like an 85 WRC plus as a lefty. And that's the obviously the advantageous platoon split. Facing more right-handed hitters, so he ended up opening up his stance and using his hips. Like that's it. It he opened up his stance. He's got like a two-phase leg kick now, where he cues back in. It's letting him use his hips, and he barreled up a curveball like six inches under the zone from Clark Schmidt. And it's just the type of pitch that he would have never been able to get to last year because he was just standing straight up, doing a little leg lift and the only thing he could do was fire his torso. Like, his legs and his, his hips were not moving. And this is a big dude. He's, like, probably 6'4", 230. And so the fact that he's actually using his body now from the left-hand side is paying off. He's hitting the ball harder. He's hitting it at a better launch angles on average. And I don't know. I think it's, like, these two pieces that I've written are just about hitting philosophies. And what I... What I realized in writing them is I don't want to like leave a, an impression one way or the other towards people you know who are reading my work or are trying to just understand hitting a little better. And I still think that on average I lean towards simplifying because these dudes are really strong. 
but there are cases when guys aren't taking advantage of the strength that they have, like with Kelnick, like with Rooker and Heim, and they just need to move more and take advantage of their big, strong bodies. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, I think I'm, yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, what we talked about with Mitch Haniger last week where, yeah, I think like, I think kind of what you're just saying about, like, you can tell that, um, I forget which hitter, but one of them just like wanted to add movement, um, in his setup and, and, Hanniger obviously needs big movements, or at least like they they work for him. The big barrel tip, the big leg kick, the big stride, and um, when I think about Jared Kelnick, like that's what was exciting to me about. I'm trying to think. I think last year is he he just I felt like he needed more more of like that like bat wave and more movement in his hands pre-pitch but it, it it felt like his his upper and lower half just like were never synced up um and i think the idea for me with the hand movement was 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 getting his his, his i said his like mike tyson um his his timing um <laughs> and also i think getting his hands in a position where basically doing what he's doing right now, where his hands are low and ready to fire to the ball. And also like, um, yeah, I think about like the, the, like a rubber band and like the upper and lower body, um, being like synced up and, and also what we've talked about with like the angle that you're taking to the pitch with your hands. Um, clearly that didn't, work particularly well um or at least like it was the start of something but um yeah i think i don't know really all of this is interesting to me just because a kind of like what we said last week like you can just kind of tell when a swing is 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 right and when it's not and obviously outcomes kind of bias us in one way or the other um but yeah just a cool thing where like you know, we, we all have movements that are, um, optimal for our own bodies. And maybe there are things that, uh, universally are generally more true for some hitters and others, but, um, this is why you, for pitching, for hitting, this is why you build to the player and you don't try and fit the player into your yeah. philosophy. So and pretty cool stuff. To go off of something that you said about matching up your the top part of your body with the lower part of your body, is there's a lot of more pitchers now going back to the old school mentality of hands over the head during the windup, and then <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. Oh, sorry, stole your thunder. We've talked about this so many times. He is, of course. You're right. Yes. Yes. Of course, are. you thought. Yeah. Of course, that you thought of it too. And so it's like hands over the top of your head, sinks up your body more. It was connected to a big velo jump for Walker Buehler from Vandy to the minor leagues. And as you're bringing your hands back down, you're almost meeting your your leg kick upwards, and it just it connects the top part of your body, your lower part of your body, and as you descend down the mound into your stride, like everything's just all synced up. It helps you throw harder. 
It's the it's literally the same exact idea, except this time you're just trying to control a bat. It's uh, it's it's a bit like I said last week. It's I think it's really cool. He said, Mikey, because it's um, at the end of the day, it's about just getting to a certain location with your body, with your hands. Um, you know, whether it's hitting or pitching, and it really doesn't matter how you get to that point. And the optimal way for each hitter to get to that point where they can. Uh, you know, throw hard or execute a breaking ball or barrel up a ball or, you know, make contact on, make good contact on a pitch that's tough to make good contact with on a pitcher's pitch um, for every different player with a different body type, with different traits, with different skills, who are good at different things, that it's going to be different. Uh, and you just got to find, you know, a, whatever, whatever it's a little bit of a truism, you know, or a tautology to say, you know, whatever works for you works, but uh, it really, it doesn't, it doesn't always matter how weird it looks or, um, or how, I don't know, unorthodox is, is, is the same thing, but um, uh, yeah, it really does speak to the idea that there's no one way to teach anything. Uh, what, you know, each, each player, uh, has different mechanisms for getting where they need to be. And um, that's why, again, like I said earlier, it's one of the things that makes baseball fun to watch. You know, most, uh, could you tell, could you tell one quarterback from the other based on the way they're throwing a deep ball? Like maybe if you're really buried into it, but um, you know, or could you really tell that the difference between, I don't know, Donovan Mitchell or Jalen Brown shooting up a three based on their form only now? Uh, but near kid in the backyard, you you play around with different windups, and it's it's fun that that aspect of the game uh, actually does have um, real use and value mechanically and in, uh, in terms of performance. Yeah, I think I'm gonna do another similar piece, but for pitchers on like I'm basically just talk about yes. how different guys throw really hard and. So keep an eye out for that. But Mikey, can you talk about the guy that's throwing really hard on the Mariners? Ah, oh, yeah, Miller. that one. That's the guy. Enan Middleton, maybe. Yeah, I love that guy. <laughs> um, yeah, Bryce Miller. I mean, really, I think I think interesting stuff um, happening with his secondary pitches. Um, in particular, where, um, I mean, he's throwing his fastball the vast, vast majority of the time. So he's thrown over, uh, I don't know why I'm saying over, 117 fastballs, and and he's combined to throw uh, 49 secondaries. So um, really, really spamming the, the fastball, not throwing so much of the other stuff. And... Um, I think, I don't know, you know, who saw, but I, I was having a, a conversation with uh, Lance Brozowski, um just on Twitter about kind of like, I think about Logan Gilbert with this because it was supposedly a big issue, um, which I didn't think it was at the time. But um, one thing is like you look at his pitch shapes and you look at his stuff plus grades on his cutter and his slider and you're like why why have these not you know created more whiffs like i think his cutter um has probably 
got about two whiffs out of 32 pitches and his his sweeper hasn't gotten any um and i think the prevailing can like uh hypothesis right now is that um he's throwing them all out of different arm slots uh so he's he's releasing his his fastball from about 5.8 feet uh above the mound the cutter 5.6 the slider 5.4 or sweeper uh and the change up 5.2 which is kind of funny it's just like boom 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 um but yeah, the I mean it hasn't mattered thus far. He's dominated both the A's and the Astros, um, and I think you know when I think about the A's, like they're not a good team, but their lineup isn't bad or hasn't been bad on the season. Um, so yeah, the the I think um, kind of just like what I think is interesting about him right now is he's spinning his fastball like very few other pitchers do uh he's at he's averaging 2600 rpms um which is how he gets he creates more than 20 inches of um induced vertical break uh despite you know throwing from a, a relatively low release and when i say release i mean like um uh he throws out of a higher arm slot or arm angle but uh 5.8 inches or, or feet uh, above the mound so the despite the ivb and i talk about this all the time the the vertical approach angle hasn't been like elite it's been 4.4 um i think part of that's because he doesn't always elevate the his fastball um and part of it is because i think his zone neutral vertical approach angle is like negative 4.3 which is really good just not you know a, a freak pitch um so I think I think that's what's interesting me right now, and that maybe I'll write about it is like the fastball is plus plus, um, the secondary should be plus. It is a mystery why they haven't um, missed bats, and I I think you know he's really zoning a lot of or really like both pitch shapes, um, and. I think that's fine for a sweeper. I think for the, you know, the cutter and gyro slider, you want to get those lower in the zone, below the zone. Um, so I, I tend to think it's a tunneling thing. I, I There's a quote from Kershaw and another stupid-ass pitcher that's in, like, Taiwan right now um, that essentially says hitters can't pick up the difference uh, in release points between pitches unless they're more than three balls apart which is about eight and a half, nine inches, which is really fucking far. Um, even if you look at the difference between his average sweeper and fastball, I'm just going to do quick maths. That is 4.8 inches, uh, which is half of, you know, that that meaningful kind of benchmark that Kershaw um, expressed. So I, I don't find it to be a compelling um, reason or, or hypothesis. I think it has to do with pitch locations and, and pitch tunneling. Um, but regardless, like, I think he's going to adjust and he's he's looking nasty.
Yeah, he's been one of the most exciting pitchers I've watched maybe in the past, like, three years. I just think that his fastball is so explosive that it's like, oh, damn, how do you not get super excited about this guy? I know we talked about it last time where it's like, I think he should have been higher on prospect list. And you sort of seen that play out in the first, what has it been, Mikey, two starts or has it been three starts now? Yeah, just against okay, Astros. Yeah. So you've already Astros. seen how it plays against good hitters. Like, it's just something that's going to carry over from the minors to the majors. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I think if we're looking for kind of a comp of like, kind of like kind of what what he'll look like, it's. Something like rookie year Logan Gilbert, where, you know, um, I think there was more of, of an inability to to spot some pitches. And in particular, I'm thinking about his curveball and then the slider just wasn't very good. Um, so he really re- relied on his fastball. Like we might see him turn into more of that where the, the K's kind of go away. But also, I think... I just think that he's getting in the zone more than Gilbert did, and his fastball is already, I think, um, outperforming Gilbert. So that, that's kind of how I, I think about him right now, except I, I think, you know, stuff plus-wise, his secondaries have more potential. So uh, I think that's the other thing I'll add about Miller. Yeah, it's so rare. It's so rare these days that you get a pitcher with a true plus-plus fastball that's like a legitimately really, really good pitch just because fastballs by nature are going to get hurt more than off-speed pitches and breaking balls. And when you have a pitch like that, that it's going to get whiffs in the zone. It's going to get, like, you can throw it anywhere pretty much. I mean, maybe not, like, right at the knees, middle, middle. But, <laughs> um, but you know, it's not going to get... When he makes mistakes, he's going to get away with so many mistakes. And, and it just raises the floor tremendously when you have that kind of fastball. And, you know, it's something, someone that comes to mind that's not necessarily a great comp, but in terms of approach a little bit and uh, just as kind of like a demonstration of what you can do with that kind of arsenal that's predicated on an outlier really good fastball is I, I might almost think of it as like a supercharged Joe Ryan where you know he's got this you know the invisible uh, that kind of comes out at a slightly at a spot that's hard for hitters to pick up um, but it's a good fastball that gets whiffs in the zone and he doesn't throw very hard it makes up for the fact that he doesn't throw very hard and he doesn't have like a bevy of nasty off-speed pitches he he's um you know really gone heavy on the split this year but it allows him it allows him to go with the fastball with a you know a not super velo heavy fastball uh 60% of the time he's got one of the highest fastball usage rates amongst starters in the league and he gets away with it and is a really good pitcher um because it's that kind of fastball and I I see the same I see the same kind of thing in in Bryce Miller uh, but but even better. So if he does, if he if if you're right, Mikey, and those secondary pitches do come along, it's a pretty it's a pretty scary thought of, of how good he could be. What if he adds a splitter? That adds a fucking splitter like Joe Ryan. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> it's a hard pitch to throw, but if you can if you can get it down, I look at Baldy. Yeah, Robbie Ray, uh, Gilbert. And Kirby all worked on splitties or variations of splitties. 
Um, so it's it's not out of the question. I'm sure that I'm sure the Mariners right now are basically just like go out there and and you know throw your fastball and and try and mix in your other stuff. But over the off season, when he gets a, a chance to really dial them in, like I, yeah, I wonder if they they do something like that. It would be really interesting, and I, I think that would make him unstoppable if he could command that whatsoever. Mikey, do you have any more fun notes on the Mariners or not fun? Uh, the not fun note would be that they have run out like one of the worst in terms of like their designated hitters. <laughs> um, and maybe I can split seasons. Uh, they have run out just some of the worst performances since a really long time. Um, I think one of the ideas coming into this year is, was that, uh, you know, they'll, they'll cycle guys through and it gives them a lot of flexibility, but, um, you know, in actuality, they have just, you know, it's one of the easiest positions to get something out of and they've contributed nearly nothing so i just ran since 2000 um and even then like this is actually kind of low so i'll well whatever if you're looking at um let's see a hundred or more uh played appearances from a team and i don't know why some of these are low but whatever uh there have been one two three four five seasons worth from a wrc plus perspective uh, since 2000 of teams DH spots, if that makes sense. Um, So the Mariners DH spot is running a 59 WRC plus and negative 0.6 F war. Um, What? Very, very bad. It's that bad. (laughs) Oh, that's worse than Willie Calhoun. Yeah, dude. I mean, they they're running out. They've literally run out like Tommy Lastella, AJ Pollock, um, you know, and just not gotten stuff out of guys like Teoscar Hernandez for you know a a bulk of the year. Um, so that is the not fun part. And I think the fun part is if you look at their, I mean, if you just look at the best starters in the league right now, uh, most of them are Mariners, um. Just by like F War, Luis Castillo seventh, Kirby is ninth, uh, Gilbert is thirteenth. Um, whoever's fourth is probably not that far behind. Uh, they are number one in starter war. Actually, I don't know if that's true. They're okay. Yeah, they are. <laughs> um, and they're number one in reliever war, which means they are, yes, number one by far in F War. Uh, for pitchers so their pitchers have pitched their ass ass is off ass eye off um (laughs) um but just not getting enough out of their their bat so i don't know what they're gonna do but um they need you know they need their guys to pull through uh ty france was was slumping for a while i think they need they need julio to start hitting eugenio suarez like i don't know if he's this is the beginning of the end. Um, and then Teoscar Hernandez needs to turn around too. 
Um, you know what kind of stinks? Is that all three of our team's offenses right now are just like straight poopy dipes. Yeah, we have Harrison yeah Bader. that's true. And uh, yeah, so Harrison Bader, obviously, I he is so good. I was just telling my my girlfriend, um, I think it was yesterday, like I would have never known how incredible he is to watch if he didn't get traded to the Yankees. And then after like two games, it was just, <laughs> whoa, like he is, he's incredible. Like he is one of the best outfield defenders I've ever seen. And I'm sure that you, I'm sure that Cardinals fans and like, florida florida gators he went to florida that might be right i don't know um but i'm sure whoever is like familiar with him was like yeah like this is obvious duh but he's really just insane out there and he's his bat seems to be coming around as well so that's exciting i'm just waiting for this team to get healthy yeah man the cardinals and trading away their outfielders it's uh there's a while where it look justifiable but it's uh, not not an organization is not looking too hot right now should i should i talk about the white Sox? (laughs) yeah i guess if you want to talk about them (laughs) yeah well i'm working on something about them for bp right now i'm just more specifically about the front office which it's it's pretty wild how little turnover there's been um I want to say Ken Williams took over as GM around uh, 1998 or 1999, maybe it was 2000. Um, Rick Hahn was brought on board or joined baseball ops around 2002, 2003 or so, and then um, Ken Williams was promoted to president of baseball ops in 2012, and Hahn took his place as GM and... Uh, I'm hoping to confirm this with some some data that I'm hoping to get my hands on, but I, I suspect that Rick Hahn might actually, in terms of record, be like the worst GM in MLB history. Uh, just because there, I, I genuinely can't think of any other um, executive or team or situation where it, you've really been allowed to run ten years of straight losing um, with with no consequences. You know, he inherited a. a, a aging and not great Sox team he had multiple chances to build it up they tried to win and compete in 2015 and 16 they failed just like they failed to compete in 2013 when they were actually in 14 when they were you know 2013 at least in 2012 when they were actually trying um the last after you know three or four years of losing on purpose uh you know they capped out at 94 wins and getting smoked in the ALDS in 2021 and it's clearly the window the window has clearly shut uh, and so you know their job security of the job security of this front office is as much in question as, as it's ever been uh but the fact is that it's hard to imagine that in any other organization with those kinds of results that uh that they'd be able to even stick around that long and the fact that there's even like a possibility that they might let Rick Hahn and, and this group run a third rebuild. Like, no, you don't get three tries. You blew the first two really badly. Like, they're, they're not, and, you know, it extends beyond baseball operations. You have kind of the same people in high-level executive positions, and you have for 20 years. Their direction, director of public relations, Scott Reifert, is, uh, has been around for as long as I can remember. Brooks Boyer, their basically head of marketing and uh, all that stuff, has been around as long as... The fact that we know who these people are, and, I mean, I've communicated with with, um, with with one of them to some extent, like, they're 
uh, it, it's you know, their current director of um, the farm director is Chris Getz, who you know was to- unqualified, just jumped straight up there because I guess they liked him. He was a special assistant to the GM, assistant to the GM or whatever for a year. You know, former eh player who just happened to come up in the Sox organization. You know, there's it, it's the really the epitome of your your stale old boys club front office uh, where there's you know unlimited job security, no turnover. You know, you you as long as you you know do what Jerry wants, you do Jerry's bidding. You have you're never gonna get fired. Uh, and and that really is at the core of why the White Sox are where they are, both in terms of on-field performance and in terms of just being a brutal, toxic organization that nobody wants to root for with scandal after scandal and shithead after shithead and uh, virtually no no accountability for it. I mean, you know, they, they're, they're 100% behind Mike Clevenger. What more is there, there to say? And it all comes from, comes from the same place. You know, that environment and the results on the field and the failure, the catastrophic failure of an Astros-Cubs-style rebuild uh, that they, it's now clear, really didn't know what they were doing from day one. Uh, it's... They all come from the same place, and it's this group of people who need to go. They need to go, as does Jerry Reinsdorf. But, you know, it's a different conversation. It's uh, this specific group of people are uh, really just epitomizing everything that's wrong with baseball right now. What are we, as a collective, excited about in the next week of baseball? Happy, happy thoughts, happy, good vibes only. What are we? Yes, what are we excited I'm glad. About? I'm very glad you asked that. I think the one thing that is one of the few things that is really keeping us as Sox fans going is the seemingly uh, imminent return of, of Liam Hendricks, uh, who has been on a rehab assignment for a couple weeks now. He's, um, you know, back to pitching. Seems to be pitching well. His velocity is reportedly at a where you know it normally is at this point in his ramping up around 95. He seems to be healthy. He seems to be like actually healthy. It's kind of, I mean, he's coming back really fast to a point that's almost a little bit concerning. Uh, but man, given how shitty the vibes are this year, he's one of the most likable players in baseball. It really is a, a just absolutely brutal that, um, you know, what happened to him happened to him. And it's a real genuine joy uh, and will be to see him back on a major league mound. And we're, we're really looking forward to that for sure. Yeah, that's a that's a good one to pick. Mine's slightly different, and I, Mike, I wonder if we're thinking the same thing. It's Yuri Perez. He's twenty years old and making his major league debut. He's six foot eight, two hundred and twenty pounds. Yeah, like dude. He everyone basically just calls him the righty CC Sabathia. He's going tonight, I believe. Um, so that's dope. Yeah, I think that's what I might choose too. He's. He's special. like, ooh, like insanely special. I don't. He might just be an ace right away. I, I don't know. I, I don't know another guy that's six eight that can command the ball like him. I don't know um, if one has ever existed at this age. Yeah, like I, I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe the, Doc Gooden. Should I? I share. Let's see. Should I read my blurb on him out of the yeah, out of the BP annual? Yes, yes, uh, you can go first, Hayes, while I find it. Oh, you not found it? Yet. No, the, I I share. I'm 100 with you. I share your excitement. Uh, the only thing when you said that, um, I did. I, I guess he's not six eight. I did think a little bit of Nate Pearson, who I really thought was going to be the truth, just simply because of his. Um, 
ability to avoid his command and his ability to avoid walks at that size with that stuff that obviously he hasn't held up. Um, I, I think Fury is probably a bit cleaner than that, but uh, that's unfortunately that was like that thought just flashed through my head. But I'm I'm equally excited to see what he's bringing to the table. I thought Pearson was going to do it I think we too. all did. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was a disappointment. Yeah, like, especially after, I think, maybe... I have some fun post-pod yeah. notes for that, too. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> um, I do have the blurb pulled up, and it is, uh, one might imagine any number of flaws in a pitcher who's six foot eight and just... Oh, yeah. One might imagine any number of flaws in a pitcher who's six foot eight and just 19 years old, but Perez doesn't really have them. The relative gentleness with which he goes through his motion and releases the ball makes it all the more remarkable to see the fastball pop out of his hand and routinely hit mid to upper 90s on the radar, radar gun and with location. That plus a changeup that has been described as prime cinder guardian and a hard complimenting breaking ball made him impossible to hit in double a whereas 19 uh, percent swinging strike percentage was one of the highest in the past decade it's way too early to feel certain about what perez is going to be but his major league debut is approaching lol and he should dazzle in some role sooner rather than later mm, on that note so and he gets to face the reds so they picked a good spot oh, yeah, yeah. Him versus Ashcraft. That's fun. That's that's gonna be that's a good a fun one. one. Yeah. Oh my boy. Yeah. Um. And I think just based on the projections, you know, he's like projected to be somewhere around a league average pitcher right away. I tend to think that you know the projections are a little conservative on rookies, especially young guys. So, um, yeah. I think. I think. Um. I think generally speaking, we see the uh, holistically what a player is and, and could be. And, and I think generally speaking, like Bryce Miller, they don't have the kind of secondary stuff or command completely sorted out. So, yeah, that might be kind of what he starts off the season as. But uh, I think as he as he gets more comfy, as as uh, the secondaries develop, uh, I, yeah, I think he's going to be really special. The Marlins are so damn interesting, man. I wish we, I wish we had a just a Marlins I'm episode. Down. I could talk about them all time. day. <laughs> but I have a question. Miami, where, bitch. <laughs> where were each of you in two thousand three? <laughs> uh, in depending on the month, okay. second and or third grade, the same for you. <laughs> I two thousand three. That sounds like second. I, I, so I was in third grade when the White Sox won the World Series in 2005. So like first grade, first or second grade, depending on when. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, Yuri, Yuri Perez was just being born. And I, I bet he was taller than all of us. <laughs> That's so fucked up. <laughs> Man, like... I saw... So that means he was probably like... <laughs> <laughs> he's probably taller yeah than he definitely eight. was taller than all of us as soon as he hit like I, three <laughs> i had a moment at the Sox game last week against the rays where i looked up at the scoreboard and like wander franco's birthday is like after 9 11 and i was like ah oh, shit <laughs> oh, 
god. He's so good. Did you you know his yeah, uh, dude, uncles are the Ibar brothers? I don't know if you guys knew that. Yeah. What? What? Yeah, his mom's yeah, that's that's his mom's brother. Whoa. Wait, who's uh, the other? Eric, Eric and, and um, the other one. Willie. 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 Yeah, yeah, he yeah. had a minute. He had a minute for the uh I don't he, really he had a solid Willie. role on the that first good Rays team that went to the World Series. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, but that that's, makes sense. That's yeah, his uncle Rocco. Wow. Yeah, so like it's wow. he's got the bloodline, you know, and they were both, you know, stocky, short-armed dudes. So basically, he was just like, "All right, I'll be that, but really, really fast and stronger, and maybe the best shortstop in baseball." <laughs> it's just. Yeah, I'll do. I'll take those. I'll take the short arm traits and then just raise you every other baseball skill. It's like the story of uh, like early career Giannis when he was a rookie. Like a coach pointing to Nicholas Batum and saying, "Like he's had a great career. Like you'll be lucky to have a career like him or something like that." Not in like a negative way, but in like a this guy's a real pro. And I'm just imagining that with uh, Wander Franco being like, "See Eric Ibar, he's a solid MLB regular. You know, had his." uh, had had his time. That's a pretty good outcome, right? And Wander Frank is being like, "Dude, really? Like, <laughs> I'm gonna." Yo, have you realized oh, how wow. short so his yeah, arms are? Yeah. Though it's crazy. It's literally not fair. I I went and saw him last week or a couple weeks ago when the Rays were in town, and uh, because it was you know the White Sox were in the middle of a ten game losing streak, and everyone was mad, and it was the middle of the week. There was nobody in the ballpark. I I got pretty much in the scouts' eye view, real close, and man, his swing like. You're right. It's it's kind of remarkable how short his hand, like his 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 swing is, his arms are clearly because it's just everything is just lightning quick to the ball. It's so yeah. fast to the ball. It's like it's Javi Baez bat speed getting to the ball with I don't know, like fucking Nick Castellanos con- like uh, powers yeah. like that. It's just everything yeah. he's making contact with every he can make contact with everything. I saw him run like an incredible like foul off like six pitches with two strikes and when he's doing that they're not like weak dribblers just like barely getting the ball out of play like he's shooting liners all over the place in foul territory that yeah that dude's that dude's bat to ball ability is just is incredible yeah those 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 arms amongst yeah others. you mix if you mix good hit tool with short arms you basically just get a superstar baseball player like jose ramirez jose Altuve. Give me, it's like, I would, I would compare it to Javi Baez's speed.